the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal. We take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. We're back at the Conscious Life Expo in our memories Woo-hoo! to see a couple more talks, kind of the end of the line here. Yeah, I want to tell you the rest of Billy Carson's talk, and you've got a fun one to share with us. Yeah, so I, going back through my notes, I was looking at everything, and I thought I had told you everything, and I said to you, do you What are you hiding from me, Carrie? <laughs> I said, do you remember Raven Shambhala? And you were like... <sighs> I think I'd remember Raven Shambhala. Yeah, that's both... Exactly the kind of name I've heard 300 times here and a name I'd remember. <laughs> but it's so Raven. Yes. So we went back through our stuff. And we're like, I don't think I told you about Raven Shambhala. I somehow <laughs> skipped over this, which is wild when you think about the content of this talk. Sure. <laughs> but everything just becomes... Yeah, she just talks to God, I think, yeah, was how you exactly. <laughs> categorized that before. Exactly. Actually, in this case, it's gods, really. But okay, here we go. Yeah, who are these gods? <laughs> who are these gods and why should I believe them? So I'm going to tell you about her first, and then we'll go back to Billy Carson and wrap up with him, if that sounds good yeah. to you, the listener. Yeah, let's wait for them to reply. Okay. Okay, good. All right. If you said no, I don't know, turn this off, I guess. <laughs> okay, so here's why I wanted to go to Raven's talk. First of all, it was called Learn the 100 Chakra System. Perfectly the type of title to trap one of us. Yeah, because usually you hear about the top seven, mm-hmm. right? Your root chakra, yeah. your crown chakra. Heard of those. Yeah. Uh, the ones that are all in a line up the center of your body in drawings. And every now and then somebody has some additional chakra. Yeah, and usually it'll be on the order of, you know, an extra 10. Yeah. But a hundred? Not like a baker's dozen or something. Yeah, this is super right. generous. So first of all, I want to know about that. Second, she closes off her bio real strong. So she says, Raven Shambhala is a master energy healer, a spiritual counselor, and senior yoga teacher for over 25 years. She has a unique perspective on psychological disorders and believes that clearing the energy body of discordant energy can heal most psychological ailments. Wow, big if true. Yeah, yeah, big if true. So I'm like, oh, this sounds important. Yeah, okay. Going back through this audio and these notes... I don't even know how much of the content I really caught in the moment because her presentation is so discursive. She just circles back to the same point, doesn't quite finish, goes somewhere else, comes back, comes back. comes. So as I was going back through it, I was like, oh, wow, I'm understanding a lot more of this than I could have possibly in the room. Ah, interesting. I I remember with Cher Jolene Uh having that feeling as I re-listened and went through it, I could kind of form sort of a structure that she was trying to keep the session to. Uh So I I totally get that feeling. Yep, it was totally the same. And I think similarly, you know, when you were telling me about Cher Jolene, I remember saying to you, like, is this just sort of on the way to uh uh-oh, on the edge of uh (laughs) uh-oh, or are we feeling uh uh-oh about Cher Jolene's health? Mm -hmm. And a similar thing's going on here, except that at the end of the day with Cher Jolene, I felt like she was probably mostly doing okay. Okay. I feel less confident about that for oh, no. Raven Shambhala. Okay. But this is a person I've never actually met, so what do I know? I've uh, only done a image search here, but it looks like she's a very pretty woman. She is. She's got curly brown hair, probably in her 40s. Okay. Big apple cheeks, big smile. 
Yeah, so it was really, really hard to follow. But I just want to say I'm doing my best to make this as clear as I can. But that also means I made some assumptions so I could get something wrong in here. Okay. But it was barely about chakras. She talks about chakras a little. So on relisting, I could make that a little clearer. I think I understand correctly that she believes there are still the seven chakras in the human body, but there are also 93 that are outside of our body. Oh. But are, yeah, they're like connected to the earth or energy fields or a planet or, you know, some other body that has an effect on us, oh. but isn't actually of us. Okay. And do we share them with other people or does everybody have their own separate external chakras? Separate external 93. Yeah. Um, that what? I don't okay. know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. If I had to guess, I think we're all sharing the other 93. But I'm not sure. Um, I don't want to share. Okay. Yeah, fair. You can call her up. <laughs> she mentioned on her website her legal name, so I'm not speaking out of school here. Her name is Monica Kelly, but she was given her name, Raven Shambhala, by the Ascended Masters. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So we've heard from the Ascended Masters, the AMs, a couple times. Yeah. Do you want to explain what they are? Yeah. It comes originally from theosophy, but we experienced it, I think, first in the Aetherius Society. Mm, they kept that sounds right. Yeah. Talking about their Ascended Masters. But yeah, the idea is that you have these spiritual paragons, these amazing figures that are either tied to other planets or other realms, and they've gone through many previous cycles and arrived at a place of just higher wisdom, and they can be channeled or contacted, and they give us said wisdom. And usually human or humanoid. Mm -hmm. And then they're often tied to Jesus, Buddha, mm -hmm. these other major figures like, oh, that was actually an avatar. That was an ascended master. And we've incorporated them into this system and taken credit for their wisdom. Yes, exactly. So she is going to talk to them directly. Cool. Yeah, which is awesome. Good for her. And she would have to explain sort of why they picked her. Why do we have to hear this through Raven? And why don't we get to talk to the Ascended Masters, right? Yeah. So it turns out that it's partly because she used to be a therapist. I'm picturing all the people in the desert saying, Moses, why do you have to wander away alone up into the mountain? Why can't we come with you? I'm a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so she's a th okay. There's only one of those. <laughs> yeah, she was a therapist. I did look this up to see if this was even true. It is. So she was a therapist. She had a therapy license for four years. It expired in 2012, but she had one. But in addition to being a therapist, she is psychic. And that combination is rare. That is a more rare <laughs> intersection of the Venn diagram. Yeah. Totally. I will concede that point. Yep. A fewer number of people say both of those things. Thankfully. <laughs> so here's where I started to go like, oh, no. In 2014, she had some sort of surgery from which she woke up with her psychic powers. And okay. they haven't gone away since. Interesting. Sounds kind of in league with what we hear from Kimberly Meredith and that yes. she had sort of an, a medical emergency yep. that resulted in uh, at Seems least her abilities coming back in, in strength. Exactly. Yeah. And she did tell a couple stories where I was like, it sounds like that predates your surgical story. Okay. But I, yeah, so I think she was already sort of a magical thinker, if you will, but maybe it became like really present for her after this surgery. Yeah, I don't know. It's just when someone tells me something that drastic changes for them, especially around around like your sensations of voices and stuff like that right after surgery. I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I'm worried there's some other explanation and that means you're not following up on some stuff you should follow up on. Right. In addition to the angle of, well, now you're telling people things that you're calling truth. 
that's a very good point you're making. Like, we should be worried for them. Maybe you need more continued observation yeah. by medical professionals. Yeah, so, like, here's just one of many, many possibilities. But, like, if you get epilepsy surgery, one of the outcomes in, like, 7% of cases is an increase in auditory hallucinations. You know, so, like, it really matters what happened here. And she doesn't really give the details. Okay. So she realizes that she can talk to the Ascended Masters directly. And they have special messages that they can only relay through her. So most of her talk will end up being about these Ascended Masters and her, her relationship with them. We kind of move past the 100 chakras thing pretty fast. Okay. I'm curious what she calls them, if she has names for them, and if they're names we've heard before. Like it, Fubiquants, Fubiquants. <laughs> Good question. You know, it doesn't. She really talks about them in groups every time. Oh, okay. Because she's also going to tell us about the Guardians, but I'm Ooh. getting ahead of myself. Okay, okay. But in both cases, she just calls them the Ascended Masters, and they kind of speak with one voice, or they have a singular thing to tell her anyway. Mm. And then, same with the Guardians. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, we're talking, they really work in plenum over there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get yeah. our message straight before we talk to Raven. <laughs> I mean, that's a good policy, I guess. Yeah, they're, they're unionized. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody needs to agree. If you don't agree, we're not saying it. Okay, Fooby, why do you think we shouldn't tell her this? <laughs> okay, well, we've heard Fooby out. How do you all feel? Yeah. Sorry, Fooby, I think you're overruled. Yeah, Fooby, well, it's your problem that you didn't express that in a clear way if everybody doesn't agree with you, isn't it? For anybody who hasn't been on our Ekinkart journey, one of our favorite <laughs> Ascended Master-like characters from Ekinkart is an entity named Fubiquans. <laughs> that we're pretty sure this one guy made up. Um, Good old Paul Twitchell. Paul Twitchell. Okay, so in Raven's Theology, the Ascended Masters are keepers of humanity specifically, not any other beings on Earth. So they protect us, but they wouldn't be concerned about Ellen, my lap here, my dog. Sorry, porpoises. Yeah, they're assigned to us. Okay. So they chose Raven specifically because they want her to deliver their messages to humanity and to clear out our karma for us, which sounds very Christ-like to me. Clear out our karma for us. Okay, yeah, kind of a redemptive thing. Yeah, act. but they specifically told her that she could clear karma for humanity. What's in it for them? God, I mean, yeah, why does God pull that whole thing in the Bible? Yeah. If you want to forgive everybody, go ahead. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Nothing's oh, stopping but you. But there's a rule. Someone has to die. Oh, who made yeah. the rule? Yo, me. Well, I did. I did. <laughs> can, you, can you change the rule? I don't want to. <laughs> I want to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. So bizarre. Put it on the shelf. <laughs> okay, so when she first heard from the masters, they said, we're aware of who you are. We do have messages we'd like to give to the human race, and we'd like to interact with you. And then she's like, and that was it. Then they went away, and they went away for a long time. Hmm. I don't, something about the whole story, I was like, oh, this all really happened for you, and it all sounds like voices, and oh, this isn't this isn't fun to listen to. Yeah. And you have to hope that the people around you are sort of processing it the same way. But I'm looking at other people, and they're going like, wow, yeah, uh-huh. That's always such an odd reality check when you do have these thoughts about what the person is saying and kind of expect the audience just to be with you and then realize, yeah. oh, no, I'm the only one at this conference for my purpose. <laughs> yep, totally. And then also, I don't feel eager to be like, look at this lady who's probably not well. You know, like that feels shitty, but it's like you've already sort of removed yourself from the private sphere, but putting yourself here and wanting us to talk about you. And yeah. now like, now we are. <laughs> yeah, it's such an uncomfortable position. We, we haven't been left with a socially graceful way to 
broach that topic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Ascendant Masters have told Raven that they're going to help her get a book deal. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. They've got some Phoebe, strings. do you agree? Can we give her a book deal? Okay. We'll yeah, I know it. someone at Penguin. So basically, the Ascendant Masters have guaranteed her a book deal. She says this in like this, oh, it's kind of heartbreaking. Like she was like, so it's coming. It's coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's coming. They promised Aww. it's going to sell so well that she's going to be able to start her own religious commune made of tiny houses. My first thought is, oh, I need to buy her book then. It's like, no, no, I don't need to buy her book. But <laughs> Well, don't worry. You can't yet because yeah. <laughs> it's not published. She hasn't gotten a book deal. But it's going to do so well. Yeah. Um, but COVID slowed that down. So that's why she hasn't been able to get the book deal yet. Okay. But she will be able to. And then she's going to start her religious commune made of tiny houses. And she's already signing people up for her religious commune downstairs. <laughs> Uh, okay. She has a few other irons in the fire that have been waylaid by COVID. She mentions that she's writing at least one other book because she keeps mentioning different titles of different books with different topics. Hmm. And then she also says, oh, and I have to overhaul my website. That's going to look a lot better in a month. And then I went back in a month. It was the same. And I don't know. It was just a lot of like, I mean, relatable shit, right? We're all like, oh, mm-hmm. if I say this out loud, it's going to motivate me to do it. And then <laughs> yeah. I'll get it done. And <laughs> yeah, totally relatable. That. Totally get it. Totally been there. Totally am there. And <laughs> you're adding this other layer, though, of like, and the masters are going to get me there. So now I'm seeing your human frailty and going like, well, there was the test and we didn't pass. Right. This so is something just a lady. potentially falsifiable. Yeah. And yet I would fully assume that if she never gets her book deal, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think the odds are probably good. There's a lot of books from people like her mm-hmm. out in the world. I wish her luck. But if she doesn't, I'm sure that would not be seen as disconfirmation. Right, right. But they promised. So she's already started a nonprofit, she says, for the religious commune. And then she interrupts herself and says, which is not a cult. It's not a cult. (laughs) Um, Why did you have to say it's not a cult? It's not a cult. (laughs) But the website isn't up yet and the book isn't out yet, but it's all going to happen. And then she said, it's going to happen in my lifetime. It's going to happen in my lifetime. That's all I know. I don't know exactly when, but I'm building my not a cult. I'm going to publish my book. (laughs) Did she actually say I'm going to build my not a cult? (laughs) No, no, no. Not literally. Where's it going to be located? Did she say? Oh, good question. She said a big plot of land, but I don't know if she said where. But it's got to be on a big blot of land, so good call on that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so she answered one of my questions before I asked it. I was thinking like, so are the Ascendant Masters only talking to you or, you know, all the other people who claim to talk to them, are they talking to them also? Yeah. So she did mention at least one other spiritual luminary who talks to them. Okay. And her name is Lori Toy, L-O-R-I-T-O-Y-E. Oh, Um, is this the one you sent to me? Yeah, I sent you a link to her website or her book or something because she draws prophetic maps. Cool. Yeah. So they're like, the United States, as it will be seen in 35 years after we have this one war. (laughs) So they're, yeah, I I mean, I didn't, we'd have to buy it to actually see like what they look like, but... I don't know. It just sounded so different from anything we've seen. I hope one of them looks like a penis. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess it's not that different from something we've seen. A little reference to um, the first abductees, Betty and Barney Hill. Betty and Barney. 
So she was starting, Raven says she was starting to draw prophetic maps and the Ascended Masters told her, you don't have to do all that work. There's another author out there who's already done all that work. And that's when she realized it was Lori Toy and she talks to them too. Okay, well, great. There's two recipients. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice artistry in these maps. Yeah, I'm into it. Kind of oh, reminds me of Epcot. Uh-oh, yeah. It looks like the U.S. is going to lose some big landmass to a sea level rise. It uh, looks like, okay. the, well, looks like the, the ocean is encroaching. Uh, goodbye, California and Nevada. What year is that for? That's a good question. Because she started drawing them in 1983, which seems like at least one test ought to have passed by now. Yeah. Uh, 1989 was, I guess, the first Earth Changes map, but... I'm not getting an immediate indication of when she thinks this is going to happen. Gotcha. But it's quite drastic. Yeah. I'd say a quarter of the U.S. disappears underwater. Wow, that's a lot. Okay, so about these Ascended Masters. They are actually one step below the Guardians. Oh, bigger deal. They're a bigger deal, exactly. So remember how the Ascended Masters only take care of humanity? Mm -hmm. The Guardians take care of Earth and other planetary bodies. Oh, okay. So you might say they're the guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At least the Milky Way. I just made that up, but I think it. I think it describes what you're talking about. You should, yeah, you should uh, well. trademark that. I'm going to do that right now. Uh oh. Wait, something else is coming up. <laughs> Here's what's wild, though. The guardians who are bigger than the ascended masters, mm -hmm. they will not talk to the ascended masters, but they will talk to Raven. Okay. So she's a bigger deal oh. than like all these ascended masters, which presumably includes like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. She's bigger than Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Poor lady. Yeah. One, one time she was hanging out with the ascended masters in the heavenly realms and they were like, what? You talk to the guardians? We don't even get to talk to the guardians. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wow. All right. D delusions um, of grandeur, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the Guardians, the bosses of the Ascended Masters, they're caretakers of Gaia, Mother Earth, other planetary systems. They don't talk to any other humans, as far as I can tell. So oh, that's not, just Raven, I think. Not even Lori Toy. Right. I think, okay. I think that's right. Oh, and the Ascended Masters are very tall. They're like six to eight feet. As you may know. I, I didn't know that. Oh, I'm sorry. Six to seven feet. All pardon right. me. So normal tall. Yeah. But the guardians are 10 to 20 feet tall. That is considerably taller. Mm-hmm. They are present in every natural disaster. They fight off evil spirits, especially during things like hurricanes. Good. I mean, does that mean they stop the hurricanes? Cause no. Because when they've been lying down on the job, they're not able to stop things. They're just strong and able to fight things. Well, imagine how much worse it could have been if they weren't there to fight right. off the evil spirits in the hurricanes. Right, exactly. Okay. So sometimes she'll ask them, like, how many guardians were in that hurricane I saw on TV? And they'll say, oh, two, because that's like a big one. So they had to send a couple to really hold it back. Okay. And so she asked the guardians, well, why are you guys talking to me? Because, you know, the Ascended Masters, they picked her because she's a therapist, a therapist and a psychic. Uh, you know, why are the Guardians picking her and none of the rest of humanity? No, no. Right. And it was because she's also because she's a therapist and an energy healer. And they happened to pass through her office while she was doing therapy one day. And they listened to her doing therapy. And they realized that humans are suffering badly. Because she was such a good therapist. Okay. Her clients were, you know, really sharing their grief. 
Okay. And they were like, oh, shit, humans suffer really badly. We better step in and help her cure humanity's suffering. Got it. But we'll let the Ascended Masters handle the book deal. <laughs> right. So she can get enough followers to her website. They can handle that, too. Yeah. All right. I um, mean, because... I don't know. History is contingent and weird. The same woman could have 50,000 followers in Mm -hmm. an alternate timeline. And I wonder what that ratio is of people who have these same ideas and thoughts Uh and just don't quite catch on. Uh And those that we've all heard of who become household names or yours and my household names. Yeah. Maybe a slightly different level of obscurity. But I just wonder what that ratio is. Is it 12 to 1? Yeah. And I think she's probably pretty early in her career of doing this. And she reminds me of Kimberly Meredith, too, but probably hasn't gotten sort of hardened to it the way I suspect Kimberly Meredith Mm -hmm. has and maybe hasn't started deciding to embellish as much. Yeah, I think like Kimberly Meredith is a good example of someone who maybe got just enough recognition and positive feedback and then eventually was able to turn this into a business Mm -hmm. that she really took that full jump into, this is who I am now, I'm going to stop trying to look for acting jobs. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting threshold to me. Yeah, to me also the aspect of, I don't think very many of these people are entirely lying. I think that's quite rare. But I think a lot of them start out with something that's very, very real. And then they're willing to tell little white lies all around it to support it Mm. and sort of make it stronger, stronger, stronger. Right. I feel like Raven is probably still in an area where she's being mostly completely sincere. Mm -hmm. But I, who knows what even this looks like in a year. And I think there's an element of... I don't know, marketing savvy and just presentation. And you know, some people just aren't able to pull together kind of a show that really grabs people. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Did you get the sense that anyone in the room and, and about how many people were in the room? You know, I I noticed that I didn't actually write down the total in my notes. Mm-hmm. I looked at my videos and it looked like it was close to full and it was one of the smaller rooms. So probably like 30. Okay. Uh, Did you get the sense that any of them were already devotees, followers of her? No. Okay. I didn't. Um, Because in many of the other rooms we've been to, you you can kind of identify, oh, those people mm -hmm. are already really into this. They've already followed this person. They know know their lingo. Yeah. She does have an active YouTube. Let's see how many downloads we're looking at. Man, I'm reading this long thing about Lori Toy's map. But nowhere does it say, oh, here we go. It it isn't concerned about when this is going to happen. Rather, what are we going to do with our present choices? Okay. Mm. Yeah, it looks like she's getting like between 400 and 1,000 views on our videos. So okay, following. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is where the 100 chakras come back. The guardians are the ones who can heal those extra 93 chakras. Hmm. Since they're so much more powerful than the Ascended Masters, the Ascended Masters have bowed out and they're allowing Raven to work directly with the Guardians so that they can clear those hundred chakras, which is the push that humanity needs. Okay. So thank you, Raven. I I wonder if she's derived... I mean, obviously the term Ascended Masters and Guardians, we've encountered them elsewhere, but the specific numbers and functions that she's 
describing them with. I wonder if she pulled that or cribbed that from anybody else or if that's just her own kind of revelation. The Oh, the hundred thing? Yeah. Just yeah. sort of knowing that, you know, these are more powerful than the other. And oh, this, right. This is right. their territory versus the other's domain. I just wonder if that was original to her. Good point. Yeah. The vibe for me was that it was. Okay. But that could be wrong. Okay, then she started talking about the fifth dimension. You got to talk about it. We're at the Conscious Life Expo. Oh, yeah, it's all we the rage. We know about this. So like many others there, she agrees we're going into the fifth dimension. Her unique spin on that is that some people, like her, can see between dimensions from the first to the fifth and so on. So you're often seeing things that you can't really explain. Oh, okay. Yeah, but see, again, I'm thinking like, <laughs> are these visual hallucinations? And maybe not, but like, give us some language so we can figure that out with you. Right. You know, join us here on like, this is a real question with a real answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. As far as what's going to happen in the fifth dimension, there's not going to be a great cataclysm on Earth, but whatever's happening right now is going to push the lower dimensional people off. I think basically she's saying anybody who's not enlightened is going to be dying soon. Oh, no. Maybe is, because is that us? They're, I, don't, I don't know if that means... There will be like mass death of the young too, or if she means that like a lot of older people are not enlightened, so they'll be aging off the planet anyway. Okay, so it could be a falsifiable prediction or it could not be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah, and whichever one happens, she'll choose then. Sounds non-falsifiable then. Yeah. Okay, last thing we did was we were all going to do a meditation, an enlightened meditation, where we clear the room of bad energy and help bring the world a little closer to the fifth dimension. So the way we did that was we all closed our eyes and pictured a lightning bolt in the center of the room, Mm -hmm. and she would go, one, two, three, flash! And then we were supposed to picture a lightning bolt there. Flash. Uh, What's that? It'll save every one of us. Uh, It's from the Flash movie. Oh. Flash Gordon. Then we all breathed love in and out. You don't recognize the the Flash music by Queen? Mm-mm. Wait, I got to play this for you real quick. Nope. Unless this isn't the part I'm supposed to recognize. <laughs> Carrie is shaking her head now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, was that, I mean, should I have recognized it from oh, there? Oh, yeah. Um, never before, never again. <laughs> playing it at your funeral (laughs) well don't worry i'll be aging off the planet (laughs) yeah probably me too i wonder when this is all supposed to happen anyway okay so as she's doing the meditation we all have our eyes closed and i open mine thinking like oh i'm gonna take a video of everybody in the room you know meditating Mm -hmm. when i open my eyes i can see what she's doing and her whole presence has changed quite a lot she is shaking her head in like um a sort of ecstatic way, like, oh. like compulsive, really back and forward, jittery. Like, yeah, it carries vigorously shaking her head quickly, yeah. very small movements, but fast ones. Yeah, and so then... So, I don't know, there so there's something... a physical affectation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I was again like, oh, gosh, what's happening for you? You know? Uh, uh... Yeah. Is this affected? Is this? Right. Is this something along the lines of a seizure? That's what it looks like. Hmm. But you obviously chose it. Like you chose to do it. So maybe not. Yeah, I, a- again, to reference Kimberly Meredith, she has her eye blanks, uh-huh. you know, which seems to be something that came physically that she's just now turned into her thing. Yeah. So... Yeah, I was just watching all that, and I was like, I 
I think I get it. I think I'm going to go. And wow. Yeah, it was kind of the middle of the meditation. And I got up and, and left and wrote in my notes, I left this one feeling like the people around this woman had let her down by encouraging this kind of magical thinking when she's probably experiencing neurological symptoms and then corrected myself, or maybe they've said all that and she's defiant. I don't know. Because <laughs> I know someone like that who's like deep in magical thinking and it's just what the do you entry say? point is gone, you know, and sometimes yeah. the entry point is gone. And and then there's also the question of like someone who is experiencing something like that, if they sort of want to give into it, I'm kind of okay with that. But I want to talk to your highest self first and say like, yo, be with me here for 20 seconds while mm-hmm. I can say this is what I think's going on. Are you okay with it? Because if, if you're not, let me know now so that when you're not doing okay, I can like force meds on you. Wow. You yeah, know? Yeah. We kind of like have to have those conversations. And when we put this all in this like religious category, sometimes it makes it impossible to. Right. It's untouchable. Okay. So I left pretty bummed. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Okay. So that's what's up with Raven Shambhala. All right. But we learned some things we didn't know before. <laughs> like uh, there are 100 chakras. Okay, though. But Carrie, if... Her book does come out. Yes. I want to be ready, but I'd like to be able to get a good deal on it. (laughs) Totally makes sense, Ross. Do you know any way just to generally be at the ready so that I can get good deals when I buy things Mm, online? mm, What a normal question. Yes. There is something called Honey that actually sponsored this episode in part today. Honey. Oh, is that the browser plugin that you can also install on your phone? Mm Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm probably ready then. Because I've noticed when I go to buy things, Mm -hmm. Honey just pops out of nowhere and says, Hey, hey, Bozo, you want to try out these discount codes (laughs) that other people have submitted? Okay, so you already know about this. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Yeah, But it's good because when I forget about it, it reminds me. That's true, because it's a plug-in and it's plugged in. That's why everybody listening should install it with the instructions that we are to give herewith. (laughs) Uh, so that they can also be reminded for the times that they forget. Exactly, because manually searching for coupon codes is so annoying. It is. It's so annoying. But Honey helps you find the best codes without having to lift a darn finger. So let's say you're shopping on one of your favorite sites, Ross. Click, 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 click. And you're checking out and the Honey button drops down and you see it says apply coupons. Yeah. It's just shining at you. What do you do? Oh, yeah. I feel like this happens, well, multiple times per week. And I got to say, uh, food purchases are where I usually strike gold. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting a Pizza Hut pizza. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm going to buy a burrito. You know, that's when I expect honey, like, come on, give me some honey. What do you do when you see that apply coupons button? Oh, all I have to do is just say, sure, try them. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's like eight coupons. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of refreshes the page and you just watch it and it, it takes just, just a, a few seconds. Just a simple little click? Just a simple little click? I click once and it does a bunch of stuff behind wow. the scenes. And then you wait a few seconds and honey searches for coupons it can find for that site. That's a great way of describing it, yes. And then if Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop? Yes, ma'am, that is correct. Wow. That sounds like a good service. Yeah. So sometimes it'll tell me, hey, you just saved three bucks. And I'm like, well, thank you. Um, and sometimes it'll say, you already have the best price. And I'll say, thank you. Because yeah, it, win-win. It's never, I don't know, inconvenience the process. It doesn't mm-hmm. throw me back to another window. I don't have to put in oh, my right. credit yep. card again or anything like that. Again, Honey's smart. It gets it. It mm. knows when it has a code for me. It's like a good wedding coordinator. 
knows what you need before you do. And otherwise, it's just in the background. That's a very current and relevant <laughs> we all know. analogy. We all know how it is. For me, I don't know about you. <laughs> so if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. It's literally free, and it installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash oh no. That's joinhoney.com slash oh no. But Ross, while we're chatting about services, yeah. did you notice when you entered this here apartment of mine that there was a big <laughs> box? Yeah, I commented upon said box. It's it, behind me right now. Yep. I says, can tell what it says because I'm using remote viewing. Okay. Uh, trove. Oh, that so, is so close. So, so it's like, it's like that a, is so close. It's like a treasure trove. Hold on, wait. Oh, I want to give it to you. Cove. Oh, no, I'm I'm God. sure about the Ove part. What's really wild about this is you could just think about which advertisers advertise on our podcast that rhyme with what you're saying and okay. that would probably help you a bunch. I'm going to cheat and look behind me. Oh, Grove, of course. Yes, Grove. It is a subscription box service and I genuinely use it and you genuinely almost fall over it because I didn't unpack it. <laughs> but I, I've received Grove boxes myself and yeah, they uh, they do a good job of filling the box and yes. I appreciate that yes. because you know when you get the package and it's like you open up the big package and there's a tiny mm-hmm. little box inside of the big mm-hmm. box and then you just tons of plastic air bubble filled crap. Anyways, when Grove sends it to you, they find a box that fits the stuff that goes in it and they tightly pack it like they're all Tetris players. Yeah, yeah. It's all done very well so there's not extra stuff and then they're really good at cultivating products that are, you know, a step above the norm as far as ecological sustainability yeah. goes. Yeah, they care about the planet. Yeah. And they've got a mission to reduce the plastic Like they already use very little plastic, but Mm -hmm. they're getting to zero plastic and they're doing it systematically and they let you know in updates. It's really cool. Yeah. I get all our toilet paper, for example, on it. Great. Because then I just know I won't be like, shit, we need toilet paper. And obviously we're running out right now to get it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm because that's the thing you will buy whatever is the nearest one to you. Right. So instead, I just have it coming uh, on a schedule. And I also get a lot of very good smelling shampoos there. And I often get told how nice my hair smells. Hey, nice. Yeah. By Drew. Drew and occasionally someone else. And that's a great thing. Like you said, you can have boxes automatically filled. So they Mm -hmm. just know when you need stuff and they send it. Or you can take control and kind of let them know what you want and when. Oh, yeah. Like my toilet paper is every other month, but my shampoo and conditioner are every month. You know, you can set it up like that. So oh, yeah. Not, you don't just have to be like, well, I guess I'm getting Q-tips every month now. But they also won't do that thing where they just send you like two items and then another two items right. and then three items. Right. They, they want to make sure that you're ordering enough stuff to group together mm-hmm. and then they incentivize you by giving you free shipping if it's over a certain amount. I, I really appreciate that. So join over 2 million households already shopping sustainably at Grove. Go to grove.com slash ono today to get a free gift set worth up to $50 Whoa. with your first order. Plus, shipping is fast and free. So get started right now at grove.com slash ono. Grove.com slash ono. All right. Well, I would like to take you back mm-hmm. to the lecture of Billy Carson. Yes, our UFO guy. Uh, last time we were questioning from his bona fides a couple courses he'd taken. Just a little recap. Last 
the last episode of Ono, Ross, and Carrie, what you missed. <laughs> so you may remember Billy Carson. Yeah, UFO guy. Funny enough, I thought of this title after we recorded the episode. I think of him as a Babylonian creationist, mm-hmm. which is kind of what he was doing with most of that first part of the lecture that I told you about, where he's taking the story of the Enuma Elish. Uh, which is funny. My wife and I were just listening to an audiobook by Carl Sagan, and he started a chapter. This is uh, Billions and Billions. He started a chapter with this quotation, and it was clearly from uh, mythology, and it sounded like the Bible, but not quite. And I, and I was like, wait a second, is this the Babylonian Enuma Elish? And mm-hmm. then he said that after the quote, like, Enuma Elish. Oh, okay. Or whoever was reading it wasn't Carl Sagan. Anyways, then I felt really spiffy that I recognized oh, nice. this uh, Babylonian creation myth. Fun Funny coincidence, uh, synchronicity, Mm -hmm. that we happen to be listening to a book that quoted it. Anyways, now that you remember who he is and that he has a very interesting take on astronomical phenomena, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. one thing suns and all that. One thing that we mentioned was uh, that he had claimed to have a, both a Harvard and MIT certificate. Oh, were they certificates in both cases? Certainly in the Harvard one. So I'll read that one first because I have it in front of me. Uh, Carrie guided me on how to send a request to Harvard to confirm or disconfirm that Billy Carson holds a certificate in ancient civilizations from Harvard University. Okay, cool. Uh, The response we got was, Ross, thank you for your inquiry. We do not have record of Mr. Carson in our alumni databases. The certificate may, however, have been offered by one of Harvard's schools, in which case we would not be able to access the records without knowing which school the certificate was from. Okay. All right. Um, What kind of certificate did he say it was? Ancient Civilizations. Ancient Civilizations. Certificate Harvard. Okay. So Harvard also has something called Harvard X, which are free classes you can take online, not for credit or grades. Yeah, And there okay. is an ancient... Let's see, ancient masterpieces of world literature and pyramids of Giza, ancient Egyptian art and archaeology. I think you found exactly what he took. Okay, gotcha. All right. So a fancy way of saying that. Um, but then you wrote MIT. I did. He had said that he has a certificate of science with an emphasis on neuroscience at MIT. And they said they could confirm that Billy Carson II earned a certificate of completion from MIT Sloan Executive Education in October 2018 after completing a two-day course on applied neuroscience. Okay. So two-day course. I think at least the message here is when you hear Harvard or MIT, don't immediately assume that person is a Harvard alum. Yeah, like and, to, went, and went yeah, there got and a got degree a degree. And, right, right, yeah. Sometimes it's easy to sound a little fancier than, mm-hmm. than one is. And uh, the way you present it is meaningful. It reminds me a little bit, not quite the same situation, but when we were in Scientology, we took that Oxford analysis. Mm-hmm. And it had nothing to do with Oxford, the school. It's just, you know, they called it that, the Oxford capacity yeah. analysis, whatever it was. And yeah, invokes that sense of imprimatur that somehow yeah. that organization smiles upon Billy Carson and what he has to say. Yeah. So I would say maybe don't assume that Harvard and MIT give you a complete thumbs up on everything that comes from Billy Carson. <laughs> yeah, that sounds That's what we're that saying sounds here. right. Cool. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for kicking that off. Yeah, no problem. All right. So let's pick up back where we left off with Billy. Uh, I had just told you about the upset EGG, the slaves on Mars, and how they had come Mm. to the Earth 
and they had taken some of our women. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Where'd they go? And uh, took them back to Mars. Okay. Remember, no, Mar- Mars needs moms. So this is where Billy sort of transitioned into the more Egyptology side of the lecture. But don't worry, we'll come back to Mars. We're, okay. We're not done with Mars yet. And not only did he want to talk about Egypt, but he wanted to talk about Toth. Oh. A.K.A. Thoth or Thoth, T-H-O-T-H, the Mm -hmm. Egyptian god. But Billy in his history has tied Toth in with other characters specifically. Well, he says that Toth was an Atlantean priest king. Mm. So that's okay. cool. He is, is that news? I don't know much about. Well, just tying an Egyptian figure to Atlantis. Oh, yeah. Touché. Already, you okay. know, makes sort of a connection across mythologies. Right. Like when they say like, well, you know, Buddha and Jesus hung out. Do they? Yeah. Oh, if you never heard people say that? <laughs> well, I mean, they were in different eras, but right. but certainly they've said that Jesus traveled to the East. Oh, yeah. I've heard literally Buddha and Jesus hung out. Okay. Which, yeah. Just uh, what do you mean? Sure. Yeah. What do you mean? Huh. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Anything's possible. So Toth is also the son of Enki and mm-hmm. the brother of Marduk. So that's now tying him to this Babylonian mythology. Okay. And so to further that connection, Billy lets us know that Marduk is just another name for Amun-Ra, who is another Egyptian figure okay. and who is evil, whereas Toth is nice and kind, as Billy said. Okay. And he said, that's just the symbology you see sometimes where you have like Enki and his brother Elil, who was evil. Anyway, so what else did Toth do? He built the Great Pyramid. Oh. So that was him. By himself? He oversaw it, I guess. Like you would say, Ramses built a pyramid or something. Okay, yeah. But Toth, he said, built the Great Pyramid, the really important one. But if you had to guess, Carrie, how long would you imagine that Toth was a ruler in Egypt? Or Kem. Kem was, of course, the name of Egypt. Okay. Uh, Well, I immediately got a nine in my head, so I'm going to say 999 years. Ooh, that would be very impressive. But... He ruled over the land of Kem for 14,000 years. Oh, wow. Damn, I should have gone 9,000. This isn't just Billy speaking. This is from the Egyptian Book of the Dead and also comes- That's what Billy says? Yes. Okay, got it. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. According to Billy, this is not just Billy. (laughs) Yes, good distinction there. That is not me saying it's not just Billy. It's Billy saying it's not just Billy. (laughs) It's Uh, just Billy saying it's not just Billy. Yeah, so the way he was able to do this, rule forever, is that he could rejuvenate himself. He had rejuvenation chambers where he would transfer his consciousness into another body, and then that body would keep ruling. Thoth would do this? Yeah, but it's the same. It's the cool. same Thoth. Yeah, same yeah, guy. Yeah, cool. Uh, like, a, like a walk-in. Yeah, well, they had the technology to make clones and then age them and then transfer consciousness into that clone. Ah, and so um, okay. So this knowledge is not only, and again, it's it's not just Billy saying this. This was also encoded. This knowledge in a work written by Toth. This is Billy saying this is not just Billy saying this. <laughs> yes, please just assume all that at this point. He wrote this in the Emerald Tablets, and these were written. Toth did okay. 
36,000 years ago. Okay. And uh, we mentioned earlier that among Mr. Carson's many qualifications is that he wrote a book called The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. So uh, he knows about these things, but I didn't. So I had to look them up. What is this emerald tablet thing? Oh my, is that... (laughs) Wow, what a story. It's this ancient text that's considered like a hermetic text that has the beginnings of alchemy. It's like where alchemy was oh, okay. first described and the even the idea of the sorcerer's stone, like something that could, mm. you know, tr- transmute things Ooh. into gold. Okay, very Lodge 49. Kind of comes back to this. Yeah, very much tied yeah. into this. Okay. I'll resist getting into that just for a little bit, just to share some of the other information that Billy conveyed in okay. between, because he was still talking about transferring consciousness from body to body. Okay. Oh, boy. So Billy was also saying that DARPA has read his book, and we've talked about DARPA. That's that defense uh- <laughs> research agency that has come up with things like, you know, the internet. Yeah, big deal. Yeah. And he said, DARPA has read my book. <laughs> Everyone who works there. <laughs> and DARPA, if you're listening, give us a call. And yeah, yeah. Who do we email to verify <laughs> that? And they're already doing this, this whole transferring of consciousness thing. And he's, he mentions the Avatar project. And I think, is he confusing the movie Avatar? Because oh, no, he's yeah. describing like they have soldiers connect to operating field robots and controlling them remotely. And I thought, well, I don't think this is happening. But <laughs> so, so I looked it up. Okay. And sure enough, there was a news item that $7 million, which when you think about it, isn't that much, has been invested in researching human-robot interactions. And yeah, sure, sure enough, the idea is that as a human soldier, you can remotely control sure. a drone or maybe yeah. like a physical robot. But Billy's talking about this as if it's a reality and as like there's the soul connection or something. Okay. It's like, oh, Billy, yeah. you really run with things. Yeah, this reminds me of the guy who was talking about the Neuralink, which is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But then he was painting it as a much more dire reality and more widespread and has these big implications it doesn't have. Yeah, that seems really common here. And then you have to wonder like, Well, for you, why did they even release a press release about that? If it's such a catastrophic, big secret Mm. thing they're doing, Mm -hmm. why are they just downplaying it a bit and then releasing a press release? Why? (sighs) Keep your secrets, Gov. (laughs) Right. Yeah, but all he needs is just the... The shred of like, oh, it's out there, it's happening, and now I can say anything I want about its implications and how much it's been implemented. So then he mentions the 2045 project, and I already kind of recognize the year. I have an association here. And Uh he says, so Ray Kurzweil Ah, out of Russia... Okay. I'm like, he's not Russian, but yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, we're, he's American, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I, I tried to figure out why did Billy get this idea that somehow huh. this was coming out of Russia. And there was a news article maybe 10 years ago about one of the oligarchs or you know, okay. s- somebody in Russia wanting to hold a conference or give lots of money towards this. But okay. anyways, uh, he was saying that at some point, you know, estimated like 2010, we'd be able to transfer the consciousness of a monkey into a computer. And, okay. and Billy just said, yeah, I assume we've done this by now. 
and oh, moves on. I don't assume that. You know what? This is uh, this but is I'd like to hang out with that computer. This is all technology we have, Carrie. You can turn a skin cell into a group of stem cells and then clone yourself at any age and transfer your consciousness into it. Do it. And data storage used to be the limitation here. That was the only thing keeping us from doing it. Uh-huh. But now we have DNA hard drives. And Microsoft created the first one. So we have the needed storage capacity. So again, I looked this up. Did Microsoft make a DNA hard drive? Okay, kind of, yeah. Yes, they did a proof that you could encode information into genetic code and then get a reader to pick it up later. So yeah, proof of concept, very cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But do we have DNA hard drives? No. No, that's not a thing yet. You know, someone's uncle Frank read that and then wrote a blog. Billy just really ran with it. And here he said that a gram of DNA can hold 435 petabytes of data. A petabyte? I've never heard of that. You know, you've heard of your kilobytes, your megabytes, yeah. gigabytes. Terabytes. Yeah, terabytes. So a terabyte is 1,024 gigabytes, and then a petabyte is 1,024 terabytes. Where's this 24 part coming from? Uh, it's binary, so powers of two. Uh. And one just happens to be 1,024, uh. so close enough. Huh. Technically, I should say tebibytes. I will avoid a big, long conversation <laughs> about the slightly different naming convention for okay. which does exist. <laughs> Don't do it, Ross. Don't do it. But what's a petabyte again? A petabyte is 1,024 terabytes. Oh, wow. Yeah, huge amount of information. So he says 435 petabytes in one gram of DNA. So I looked this up and I saw the figure 215 petabytes cited a few places, but apparently there's a theoretical limit in a gram of DNA of 455 exabytes, and exabytes are 1,024 petabytes. So I'll allow Billy that one. Okay. But that doesn't mean you can go buy a DNA drive and transfer everything you've ever created into a gram of DNA. I'm impressed that you could follow the claim, check the claim, and dispute the claim. I'm still (laughs) on step one. (laughs) But okay, got it. Oh, Billy drops these things so quickly. Then his takeaway is, yeah, transferring consciousness, it's not hard to do anymore okay yes it is hard okay. to do. nobody's I done am it listening he's not the only one saying this ross it's not just him saying this my goodness it's just him saying that it's not just him saying it correct okay so let's talk a little bit more about toth and the emerald tablet so again okay, yeah let's. again toth you know aka atlantean priest king aka the son of enki famed from babylonian myth uh, he is also a master of arts and sciences wow that's Two heavy-hitting things to be an expert in. He was also the ruler of three worlds. Three worlds at once, Carrie. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Busy guy. He's also referred to as Trismegistus. Okay, well, that's a mistake. Why? It's impossible to say. Yeah, and I very well could be pronouncing that wrong. But Trismegistus? Yeah, Trismegistus. And I recognized this term. And I was like, oh, what is that? And so I looked it up. It's the syncretic combination of the Greek Hermes and Egyptian Toth. So ah. Billy wasn't the first to conflate him with other figures. Okay. Too many of the ancients, they, they kind of saw them as being parallel characters and said, ah, oh, your Greek Hermes is very oh, much like our Egyptian okay. Toth. Let's call these the, the same. And so they, they were sort of combined into this one character, Trismegistus, 
who is the one who is claimed to have written the Emerald Tablet. Well, now that makes sense because Trismegistus does sound like five eighth graders trying to name their lab group <laughs> and being like, well, your name's Tristan, but your name's Mikey, but your name's Gina, but your name's Stacy. Oh, what about Trismegistus? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently it, it just means the thrice great. And I read a few huh. different explanations for why th- that name would have come about. But apparently in one of the inscriptions, someone had written like, great, great, great. And then uh, he got okay. named the the thrice great. Oh, wow. Trismegistus. Ridiculous what things stick. Right? Okay. Trismegistus. So now that we know uh, this figure, we can keep calling him Toth. Oh, also the embodiment of the universal mind. So many titles for this amazing figure who ruled for 14,000 years. And now I'm wondering, why did he stop ruling if he could just keep making new copies of himself? And he was like the ultimate human mind or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What uh, put an end to him? Who took over? Oh, I'm sure Billy could tell us a story about that. Uh, Is Billy in charge now? Hmm. Oh, boy. So I should say, as far as I could tell, the Emerald Tablet does not come from 36,000 years ago. Okay. It is most likely written in the 800s. Oh, okay. By an Islamic author, and then it got perpetuated and became a big thing, but it claims to be more ancient than that, as many old texts do. So the Emerald Tablet isn't that long of a document, uh, but here is the Emerald Tablet as translated by Isaac Newton, because he devoted quite a bit of time to analyzing this because he was quite interested in alchemy. "'Tis true without lying, certain and most true, that which is below is like that which is above, and that which is above is like that which is below, to do the miracles of only one thing." I'll pull aside here for a second to say you probably recognize that. Sure. As As above, above, so so below. below. That comes from the Emerald Tablets. Oh, okay. It goes on. And as all things have been and arose from one by the meditation of one, so all things have their birth from this one thing by adaptation. The sun is its father, the moon its mother, the wind hath carried it in its belly, the earth is its nurse. The father of all perfection in the whole world is here, Its force or power is entire, if it be converted into earth. Separate thou the earth from the fire, the subtle from the gross, sweetly with great industry. It ascends from the earth to the heaven, and again it descends to the earth, and receives the force of things superior and inferior. By this means you shall have the glory of the whole world, and thereby all obscurity shall fly from you. Its force is above all force." for it vanquishes every subtle thing and penetrates every solid thing. So was the world created. From this are and do come admirable adaptations, whereof the means or process is here in this. Hence I am called Hermes Trismegist, having the three parts of the philosophy of the whole world. That which I have said of the operation of the sun is accomplished and ended." Well That's done. Pretty. Yeah, good job, Isaac Newton. Also, guess what you get when you cross Isaac Newton and Billy Carson. Billy Newton. Apple Thoth. <laughs> That's pretty good. 
I like it. Thank Apple you. thought. Yeah. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you. But yeah, I, I was really pleased to learn about the Emerald tablets or tablet uh, because now I think I'll recognize them anywhere. In fact, I've been watching the Netflix series Dark, mm. which is in German, mm. and it's kind of like a Stranger Things for Germans. And uh, it has references to the Emerald tablets and it's tied into oh. the whole time travel plot. So yeah, I'm super excited to go back to that now. Oh, cool. All right, so Trismegistus, Toth, whatever you want to call him, he was told by his father to go to the land of Chem, Egypt, Okay. after the flood. Okay. So, so there was a flood. The Babylonians agree. That was real. And the waters were still subsiding at the point. Okay. But he was supposed to find the temple and rebuild civilization. Wow. So he descends down to the ancient temple, okay. which probably involves steps that go down. Mm-hmm. And I guess I had to go through the water. It was beneath the ship, according to the text. And then people come out to well, attack he's gonna, him. He's not going to get very far down there if he doesn't. Does he have like air with him? Scuba gear or something? Scuba gear. Oh, that's okay. got to be old hat technology. Be about. Okay. Because as Billy tells us, none of this technology is new. Like the things that we're discovering now, we oh. think they think it's new. They think they're fancy. They think they've discovered stuff. No, all of mm-hmm. this was known before. We're just rediscovering these ancient pieces of knowledge. So I'm sure he had some special underwater breathing apparatus. Hmm. Anyway, so what I'm mystified, <laughs> <laughs> what mystifies me is that when he goes under the temple, people come out to attack him. It's like, well, where were they from? I thought everybody got drowned in the flood. Yeah, yeah. So they're just down there with their own underwater Gills? breathing apparatuses. Yeah. yeah, who knows? So thankfully, he has another piece of technology, a ray of vibration. Oh, good. And he uses that to stop them. And Billy tells us, you know what? That's just like our active denial systems that we have now, where we can send out these vibrations and make people feel like they're on fire, they're in pain, they need to vomit. Have you heard about these things? Oh, is this Havana syndrome Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and kind of like the theoretical brown note and things like that. Yeah. Things that can make you, uh, you know, poop your pants or whatever. That's the claim, yeah. Yeah, so again, Billy's taken that that claim, run with it, and said, yeah, it's just like that thing that, you know, we know That's already a little questionable. Then he completed his mission after he stopped them with his ray of vibration. He restarts civilization on this planet. Okay. Thank you, Toth. (laughs) Thank you. So then Billy shows us a little personal connection to this space. He said, here's me. And he shows a picture of himself inside the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid. Let me show you this. Okay, so there he is in the king's chamber. Okay. Carrie's looking at this. And he identifies a broken piece on the corner of this big stone slab. And he says that piece... Mm -hmm. Like, you know, big chunk taken out of it. Yeah, definitely. It literally exploded off of there because of the energy that was inside. And he says that when you're inside, you can look and like there's a wall 20 feet away that has a big dent in it. You know, the perfect shape of the edge of this thing. And, that, okay. you know, that that's evidence that this happened. Is this something he figured out or something they told him while he was there? I think he figured it out. Okay. Yeah. And he okay, said, Billy. that's because this was a power generation room. Oh, whoa. And guess what was inside that stone slab, Carrie? An object of great power. Yeah, um, a perpetual motion machine. Ooh, good guess, good guess. Dun, uh, oh, 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 yeah, dun, um, the Holy Grail. Close, closer. Dun, 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 dun. Closer? Yeah, well, you're, you're thinking of the right movie franchise. <laughs> 
A crystal skull? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're on the right trail, so I'm going to let you follow it. Okay, let's see. Not the grail. Yeah, the grail. Not the crystal skull. The grail is the goblet thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That was the third film. Think of the first film. It's not the Temple of Doom. Okay. Temple of Doom. Last Crusade. The Nazis were trying to steal it, like, you know, they do. Huh. Another- A book? Nope. Another important relic to Judeo-Christianity. There's just the one. <laughs> oh, the Ark of the Covenant? Yes. Oh, what is that? It's where uh, God dwelled, essentially, like inside the oh, temple. It's, yeah, box. Yeah, it's a freaking box. Yeah, that they. Yeah, put, now I remember. They put the Ten Commandments inside of it, and it carried great power because God's presence sat upon it. The Got two little it. angels on the top. So that had been held inside that box, and it was an energy generator. Uh... And he said, "But that's another lecture." Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, he could go off. On When's that. that one? But don't worry, the Ark of the Covenant will come back into the story. I forgot that there's a whole thing about a box in Christianity. Something about that is so insulting <laughs> to me. <laughs> like, we got to find the box. Oh, no, the, the Just, Philistines got the box. Yeah, Get it, feels it back. Like Amazon pulling one over on me and being like, well, actually, this box is very valuable. <laughs> <laughs> what am I, a cat? I don't want your box. <laughs> It's a very important box. Okay, so speaking of things that Billy says, and then you're like, how am I going to even look this up? Which happened many times in this lecture. So that king's chamber that he was in, that's right above the Grand Gallery, which in turn is the coordinates for the speed of light in meters per second. Wait. (laughs) Is the coord... Yep. I rewound this many times. And like, okay. What did you just I say, Billy? I think I follow. So, okay, if you take the speed of light, you put that in meters per second, you take those digits, extract them for no particular reason, <laughs> and assign them to the latitude and longitude of this particular site, they'll match. Well done, Carrie Okay, Poppy. thank you. <laughs> I'm impressed. It took me longer thank than you. that. So, okay. Bizarre. So I looked online. Sure enough, this is something that people point out. Okay. That, yeah, it's the latitude. And if you get super exact with the latitude, it's Uh 29.979248 degrees north. We're leaving out the longitude. That's irrelevant. Okay, because we don't need it to be. But those numbers happen to match. Our system that we've put on how to align the Earth. I'm going to find out what latitude we're at right now. Do you know? Roughly 44. 44. Is that Obama? Yeah, that's the president. Oh, my God. We're at the exact latitude of Obama. Did you ever think about that? It's got great meaning. Oh, except that I'm way off. 34.0928. Okay, that's not what I meant. (laughs) 34 point what? 0928 degrees. But you could end that number anywhere, depending on how specific you wanted to be. Totally. Okay, but 3409. I thought we were way higher on the globe than we are. Oh my gosh, 3409 is a band from Toronto, Canada. (laughs) Wow. Who refused to conform to one genre, but instead authentically experiment in all sound classes. (laughs) Wow. But it's like, he just says that without providing the context or explaining it and when you look at it you're like oh that is so random yes totally but he tried to make a case out of this he said this goes to show you that they had the metric system we didn't come up with it oh this was an ancient to show you that this goes to show you that 
Okay. But yeah, all of this is so arbitrary because the speed of light also is, you know, meters per second. So you're matching these numbers and then working so hard to go backwards and somehow make those ancient measurement systems. Right. So it was roughly three times as many feet. And then oh. you said, well, maybe if we use meters, well. Mm-hmm. But the, he's just getting started. <laughs> oh, no. So the Great Pyramid is a multifunctional stone computer. Okay. Okay. The, okay, sorry. I know all those words separately, <laughs> but, but together it's really tough. Okay, the Great Pyramid yep. is a something stone computer? Multifunctional stone computer. Multifunctional stone... Well, all computers are... Okay, a multifunctional stone computer. Okay, and who is using it and are they pressing keys on it? Maybe it'll help if I just give some of the stats he started sharing. Okay. So, for example, the Great Pyramid can calculate the tropical year because the length of one of the side is 931 pyramid inches or... What? Okay, I'm just going with it. Uh-huh, okay. Which I guess calculates to 365.25 cubits, which is okay. the number of days in the year. Now, a couple issues there, and, <laughs> and maybe I transcribed some of this wrong, but those uh-huh. are kind of the numbers and vaguely the terms he was throwing out. But already I'm thinking, okay, but cubits were from the elbow to the hand, as we will talk about quite mm. a bit in the Ark series. Yeah. Not the Ark of the Covenant, the other Ark. And and I guess there was a semi-standardized Egyptian cubit, but still, it's just like we're, we're shifting modes of measurement. Right. And we're until converting one into the other. Right, exactly. And until we have something. when it fits, I can't do anything with it. Right. So, okay, cool. We have encoded the number of days in the year, including that sort of like quarter day. And then he, he gives this other measurement uh, and says, if you divide that by 100, that's 365. And I'm thinking, well, why do you divide by 100? <laughs> yeah, why? Okay, here's another one he says. The mean distance to the sun. Oh, my goodness. You know, I'm not even sure. It was just like a string of words. But like the height of the pyramid times 10 to the ninth power. Again, why are you multiplying it by that? Yeah. Represents the mean orbit of the Earth around the sun. So they knew what an astronomical okay. unit was you know the roughly 93 million miles from the earth to the sun and what were they doing knowing that in ancient times they I had i don't think that is proof that they knew that in ancient times <laughs> yeah billy's forgetting an important thing which is he already knew the number and yeah. or, or someone he's cribbing from you know and they worked backwards to find this after they already knew yeah. the foregone conclusion which makes the sound a lot like the bible code or something like right, that where right. ooh, i have this and i have this Ooh, if i divide by a hundred here or if i multiply this by 10 to the ninth power i get if this I, thing if i add and subtract over and over i get back to where i started <laughs> yeah oh yeah another passageway multiplies out again with like this 10 to the 7th this time or something like that now you get the distance to the moon it was great (laughs) (laughs) so from this he took that they had technology like satellites or spaceships and he said whoa what why? Because how else could they know the distance oh, to the moon sure, sure. so that they could put it into this building plan? And and that's what he believes happened is that they had an ancient computer. They knew all these figures and they said like, hey, we want to encode like, you know, these 20 pieces of information and they fed it into the computer and then the computer spit out these building plans and that's how they created the pyramids. So there were all these spaceships that didn't make it 
throughout history. Like those didn't stay on Earth for some reason, but what did stay was the stone computer that launched the spaceships. Well, I mean, presumably they were traveling back and forth between Earth and Mars and the Atlanteans had this kind of space technology and we're just rediscovering it now. So, mm. yeah, it's just for whatever reason, we don't have the remnants or do we, Carrie? Mm. We'll get there. Oh, okay. good. But yeah, he said he could teach another three hour lesson just on the dimensions of the pyramid. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a lot more even on his slide. So uh, we'll, we'll move on, but just know he has lots to say about the pyramids. Okay, so we move on then to the Temple of Abydos, uh, A-B-Y-D-O-S, which was the Temple of Seti I. And Billy says that he's been there twice himself and pointed to a particular set of hieroglyphs that he said showed modern technology. Let me show these to you. All right, now I'm going to zoom in so you can't see his little overlay. But we're looking at this object here, Mm -hmm. this object right below it, Uh and uh, this one down here. And this one over here. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Those are some hieroglyphs. Do they look like anything in particular to you? So it looks to me like one of those craft workers bench things where little shapes are cut out so that I can put tools in the shapes. Oh, okay. And they'll stay put. Yeah, these are, you know, bas-relief sculptures, yep. As far as, like, what shape they remind me of? Nothing's jumping out at you. I mean, the bottom one kind of reminds me of the Ark. I can see that, sort of the outline shape of the hole, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so I would have looked at this one here and maybe thought, oh, I could see how someone would call that a UFO. Oh, the one in the middle. I thought I wasn't counting that for some reason. That reminds me of a fish. Oh, okay. Then Billy shows us kind of what he thinks all of these are referring to. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So the UFO one, what I would have said, it does have kind of a fin on it. And he says, oh, well, clearly that's like a A like a single engine plane. Yeah, this one up here, this he calls a helicopter. I have a hard time seeing that. Wow. Uh, This one up top, this is a tank, clearly. Okay. I can't remember what this uh, one down here was. But anyways, yeah, he feels that... On this one column, these are clearly like depictions of this advanced technology that they had that just happens to look like our helicopters, tanks, and single-engine planes of today. Also, I should have mentioned about the pyramids. He also wanted us to know he's not saying that all pyramids were built by aliens. Okay, not all. They taught these people how to build them. Okay. And then as time went on, you have other Egyptian rulers who are building their own, but the stones got smaller, the construction is less sophisticated, so knowledge was being lost over the years. Okay. Well, now he feels very grounded, very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't build all of the pyramids. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. So then he starts showing us some other things around the solar system. In Mars, you may remember a specific face that shows up in the Cydonia region. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, the face on Mars. The face on Mars. It's a pretty cool little trick of the eye. Yeah, in the right lighting and with a low enough resolution camera, like, you know, the first bypass that we had decades ago. Yep, looks like a face. Looks like a face, which has more to do with my eyes and brain than anything to do with Mars. Yeah, uh, no acknowledgement from Billy that there have been more recent, more detailed photos that Mm. show, oh yeah, trick of the eyes. Mm -hmm. It looks very much like a natural formation. I was evolved to want to see faces as often as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we're still very much in the face on Mars is very real. We're going to learn his name in just a little bit, uh, who the face is of. Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. To know. But 
Uh, first, Hank, 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 her, Hank, Hank. First, he wanted to show us these mounds in Avebury in the United Kingdom. There's okay. this place called Avebury. And, and once I looked this up after he had briefly shown a slide and mentioned it, then I remembered having seen this before. So apparently, Ooh. if you take the Cydonia region in Mars uh-huh. and you overlay it with this complex of mounds and roads connecting them in Avebury in the UK, uh, they overlap in a really interesting way. And okay. who knows how they've scaled this to match, but mm-hmm. sure enough, like, oh, there's a round shape here where there's a round shape here. And oh, there's a, a line in the dirt here where there's a road here. And Italy looks like a boot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, sure enough, if you find enough random shapes, sometimes they'll line up on yeah. top of each other. Okay. It looks pretty cool the way it's presented, but he's mm-hmm. clearly run with this and, and okay, believes it was up. all Avebury. intentional. Yeah, Avebury. So A-V-E-B-U-R-Y. And and then Mars. just put in Cydonia, C-Y-D-O-N-I-A. Boy, I'm not even really won over by this. Oh, okay. I'm seeing two that are a the, better comparison The overlaid now. maps, yeah. Yeah, okay. Kind of cool. Still not feeling anything. Okay. I'm certainly not feeling awe. I'm feeling my pareidolia... Has Activated. been called upon to... Okay. Right, exactly. So then he uh, shares a photo of another place called Dair Allah in Jordan. And it has another face that you can see from the sky that looks kind of like the face of an African man. So Billy tells us who this man is who's on Mars and also in Dire Allah. It is an Anunnaki named Alalu. Alalu. Yeah. Okay. So now whenever you see the face on Mars, you can be like, Alalu. Oh, okay, Alalu. What's up? And I got to say, cool name. every time I would look up one of these things, Billy wasn't the only one saying it. So somebody else had like an angel okay. fire website, you know, where they had written He's this not out. the only one saying it. And he'd collected it and okay. just added it to his bank of knowledge. So yep. these things are out there at least. When I would mm-hmm. look it up, he, it wasn't just completely like he fabricated it on the spot. He found at least one other person who thought that. Exactly. So Alalu was able to escape. He was one of those people who wanted to leave Mars. He got to Earth. He challenged Anu for the kingship, and Anu defeated him. But in the process, while they were fighting naked, because that's how you do, Alalu bit off the testicles of Anu. Oh, that's dirty fighting. Yeah, so he got punished for that and killed. For, for the bites? For biting off the testicles yeah, wow. of his opponent. Okay. Um, and so he was wow. buried, and apparently the face on Mars is sort of a grave marker for him. Or it's a, Oh, whoa. It's a, a monument to him. So that's his face. After he bit someone's testicles off. Yep. That's what happens. That's the most memorable part of that story. But yeah, he was, he was trying to uh, challenge Anu for the kingship. So whenever you see that, you can be like, that's a ball biter. <laughs> you okay. Yep. Yeah. Wow. There's so many genitalia references in space. Who knew? There's Betty Hill's dick constellation. <laughs> yeah. There's the testicle biting face. And I'm out of my list. Yeah, but that's, that's a good start. That's enough. <laughs> All right, so... There's got to be some boobs in space, right? There's got to be. There's got to be boobs in space. Wouldn't that be amazing if there were a constellation that just really convincingly looked like a pair of boobs? Yeah, yeah. I feel like Libra is going to be the closest. Okay. 
<laughs> Carrie's really thinking about this. She's There's picturing it. Boobs in space. Boobs in space. Right? Oh, oh wait, isn't there like a lady constellation, Cassiopeia? Yeah, I think there's a few. A few of them are people. I don't know. I'm so bad with uh, constellations. Yeah, I'm not interested in them at all. My brain just doesn't want to hold on to that info. Okay, I'm just googling boobs in space. Let's see what happens. <laughs> hmm. Our search histories are the weirdest. Yeah, this isn't helping me. Space boobs in space is a movie. Okay. All right. So we learned that Marduk, a.k.a. Amun-Ra, is actually mentioned in the Bible. Oh, as? A false god. You know. Oh, like by name. I should say another god. But yeah, in Jeremiah, I looked this up. That didn't seem like an extraordinary claim to me. But Mm -hmm. yeah, he's mentioned as, you know, Babylonian god. Sure. (laughs) Great. And here. Big honor to be in the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. It's honored to be mentioned. Yeah. Like that one carpenter who made it in there because I think it's Paul is like, so-and-so the carpenter knows what he did to me. Oh, that's funny. I don't remember that exact one, but I know that sort of thing. That's great. In high school one of my friends said that was his favorite verse he had memorized it and it was just this like really spiteful by the way I hate my friend verse Uh, that reminds me of when Jesus helped the disciples I think it was after his death drag out a net of fish from the lake or the sea whatever it was and they numbered the fish Oh, wow. It's 153 fish. That's how many fish they drag out. It's like, did someone count them? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's very specific. Billy was mentioning this because he was saying, you know, this is important for people to know. Like, this is in the Bible, too. You know, Mm. we got to get the word out about this. People don't realize it's all right under your nose. So this leads him on to a line of information that I had a higher incidence of agreeing with. Okay. He starts talking about how Amun-Ra, you know, the sun god, was behind the first monotheism in the world, Mm. which was under the reign of Akhenaten in Mm. Egypt. Like, okay, yes, true. So it's Amun-Ra who was jealous and mean, and we always hear about Yahweh having these attributes. But he's like, this this is all kind of a hand-me-down from Amun-Ra. Okay. And we would differ in that I would say that Amun-Ra was still a mythological character, Mm -hmm. whereas he's saying this is a very real person in history. But this was his explanation for why when you go to Egypt, you find that everything's chipped away. And then he corrected himself to a more L. Ron Hubbard figure of like, well, 70% of like the faces are chipped away. Mm. And he said, it's not because you had white people arrive on the scene. They didn't like seeing black faces and they chipped away at them, as some people will tell you. Mm. No, no, this was the ancients chipping away at images of Akhenaten because they were really pissed at him for trying to convert everybody to a monotheism. Ah. I think roughly in the 14th century before Common Era. Okay. And then he wants us to know that whenever we hear about Moses, that's just sort of like a corrupted retelling of Akhenaten's story. Ah. Yeah, which I thought was an interesting connection. I I don't think I'd really heard before. So uh, then he tells us, yeah, there were no slaves in Egypt. That was all made up. Oh, wow. I was like, well, I agree with you. Uh Uh-huh. And The whole Exodus thing. Yeah, there's no historical support for that. And he said, not only were they not slaves, they had insurance policy. Policies, they had payroll. There's records of all of that. Is uh, that true? I think roughly he might be stating it more cleanly than it is, but mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be too surprised. So Akhenaten, not Moses, is the one who left 
And when he got expelled from Egypt for his monotheism, he took the Ark with him, the Ark of the Covenant, that power source. Mm, The box. Yeah. So then everything breaks down and the Egyptians are like, we got to get that back. And so they chase him. And that's the whole story of like Moses trying to Ah. cross the sea with the Israelites. The real story behind all that was Akhenaten being kicked out of Egypt, but then them saying, wait, give us that ark back. We need that. Ah, okay. And this is where Billy then drops that little factoid that we'd always hear in church. It wasn't the Red Sea. That's a mistranslation. It was the The Sea of Reeds. So we've heard that before. I was like, okay, well, that checks out. Hey, here's a verse from the Bible. Refresh me with apples, sustain me with raisin cakes, for I am lovesick. <laughs> That's a great verse. <laughs> that song's two four. Um, but here's one you should say to Kara when she acts up. Okay. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> really? <laughs> Proverbs twenty one nine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I learn new things every day. Better to live on a corner of the roof. Better is one day on the corner of the roof. (laughs) Better is one day on that roof than one day in the house with a quarrelsome wife. (laughs) I think they need to rewrite some of these songs. Okay, so we all agree on the Sea of Reeds thing, but then Billy tells us there was an earthquake around that time and it could have caused a tsunami, which would have drawn the water back. I've seen it before. It happens in tsunamis. Like, yes, true. Okay. And even Billy admits it's like the timing was perfect, obviously, for those to have happened at just the right time that the, the Sea of Reeds would be drawn back and Akhenaten could have walked across with the Ark of the Covenant. I'm amazed you can still make your brain pay attention to this. My whole head's <laughs> just going like, none of this matters. None of this happened. Why are we talking about it? I read a book that uh, I think gave a lot of credence to that theory of like the earthquake happening and it causing a tsunami. But it's like when you're trying to explain away a Bible story of the water being drawn back and people walking across the river. I think it's a far more parsimonious, easy, Uh credible explanation just to say people write stories sometimes. Sure. Maybe something like that happening in the past inspired them and then it got encoded. But to like try to say that that actually happened in the moment in that story. Right. uh, Strains credulity. Anyways, that's what Billy said. So I'll just say I agreed with him a little more than usual in that little section of the talk. So you were a little closer to him on the ARC triangle in Scientology. There we go. Yeah, we got a little bit of affinity. Shared reality. There we go. A tiny bit. Here's another interesting thing that we know about the pyramids. And I think we've even probably mentioned this on the show before that many people will say that the way they are arranged is somehow matched with the orientation of the Pleiades, Mm, the seven mm -hmm, sisters, those stars. mm -hmm. So he's saying that the reason this is, is because that's where they were planning to go. And that's where they went next. They left Earth and they went to the Pleiades. And this was wild. They were like, this is just like home. I guess so. Uh, But, you know, we hear so many other alien enthusiasts talk about aliens from the Pleiades. Yeah. There's at least a longstanding tradition here. So then he was telling us about the Queen's Chamber interacted with the Nile that ran underneath and with the granite that was there under the pyramid, the water created a physiostatic electricity and they use that to extract hydrogen because when we try to send information to other planets, we do it on the hydrogen frequency. I have no idea what what that was all about. The hydrogen frequency? Yeah. 
that somehow that's like if we're sending communication to other planets, that's what we would use. I through hydrogen. I didn't even know how to look this up, so yeah. I'm just gonna accept it as true. But <laughs> the hydrogen frequency. So apparently, I guess the the overall message here is that the queen's chamber under the pyramid was created as sort of a communication platform to keep communication alive with the Pleiades. Okay. Sort of Houston. Yeah. Yeah. The base station. Exactly. Base station. Yeah. Here was another really interesting claim. He said he went to Australia and I've been there. Found proto Egyptian hieroglyphs there. Oh, okay. Did other people agree with him that that's what he was looking at? So I looked this one up, and sure enough, there is a a location they're referred to as the Gosford Glyphs. Okay. I'd never heard of this before. It's familiar sounding, yeah. They're in Kerryong, New South Wales. I may be saying that wrong. K-A-R-I-O-N-G. And he said it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I was reading other people talking about it. And they said that they struggled to find it and couldn't. So apparently Mm -hmm. it is kind of like in the bush, hard to find. Mm -hmm. But sure enough, there are a bunch of stone glyphs that look like Egyptian hieroglyphs. He told this whole story about these two brothers uh, who died. One of the brothers died there, uh, got bitten by a snake, and the other brother couldn't save him. And so he mummified. Is this in modern Ancient. This is like 4,000 years ago, I think he said. Uh, Yeah, sorry. This is all over the place. Anyway, so he told this story about these Egyptians, essentially, who traveled to Australia, and then they left all these glyphs, and we have this uh, record. And he even told us that the authenticity of these hieroglyphs as being like true Egyptian was authenticated by the Egyptian Board of Antiquities at the Cairo Museum. So I was like, wow. Okay. okay." So I tried looking that up. No. (laughs) No. Not at all. Experts say not only is the dating wrong, this probably all appeared starting in the mid-70s, and there are observers- The mid-70s, like 1970s? 1970s, Oh, no. This was a hoax. Like Somebody was going out to this rock, and there are eyewitnesses that- It's like a crop circle. That they would- Exactly. That they would find this rock and occasionally knew- hieroglyphs would have been added like someone was actively (laughs) coming back and they say this is not the way that egyptian hieroglyphs were carved they're mixing symbols that are like thousands of years apart this one wouldn't have been used at the time that this one was so it was just Mm -hmm. someone who knew enough to get the right shapes but didn't know enough to like know when they should be uh, contemporaneous. Gotcha. So it's, uh, and that person probably thought they were adding mystical stuff to the world. Like, right. Probably thought they were doing humanity a favor or, and actually started this whole mess. Or I'm just creating a fun little head scratcher that yeah. everyone, everyone's going to puzzle over and, oh, I'll chuckle to myself. Yeah. Well, mission accomplished, person in <laughs> Australia, because now Billy Carson takes it seriously and thinks that it's a tie between ancient Egypt and Australia. And then he talked about Mexico and said that Toth actually traveled to Mexico and helped the Teotihuacan civilization build the pyramids there. And he said, and you know, you can check me out on this. So historians agree the Mayas, the Aztecs didn't build anything there. They didn't build any of those pyramids. They even believed that it was an earlier civilization that they called the Teotihuacans, uh, which I, again, may be butchering there in the pronunciation. But um, again, it was an earlier civilization. And like one of them is the same size as the Great Pyramid, at least at the base, but it's 50% the height. And those pyramids are mirrored to match Orion. So, you know, just Ah. like 
the okay. Egyptian ones mirror the Pleiades. So there you go. Information that you can take with a grain of salt. I will. He also referenced the Aboriginal people of Australia and said that he had the pleasure of meeting them and that all of them they have a verbal history that says that they were the first humans on the planet and mm. that they were seated from the Pleiades. Mm. Um, okay. So I feel like I've heard this before. Anyways, uh, Billy seemed quite convinced of this. Oh, okay. When I spoke in Australia, there was a um, astronomer who gave a talk and she was from the First Nations there and... She talked about the Aboriginal astronomy. I forgot about this. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, she, she was sort of talking about like, well, here's what the actual science says, and here's probably where where these myths developed and stuff. And gotcha. Yeah, I forgot about her. Cool. Yeah. He also claimed that there was a craft that crashed thousands of years ago into the Baltic Sea, and so he showed this kind of very rough image of it taken underwater. And said, it kind of looks like the Millennium Falcon. I'm not saying it is the Millennium Falcon. That's a famous <laughs> ship from Star Wars that right. on Solo Pilots. But uh, just to give you an idea of kind of what it looked like. And he said that... I'm sorry. Something just occurred to me. Yeah. We were the Falcons in my high school. Yeah. And I graduated in 2001. Right past the Millennium. Did yeah. No, no one... No made- one ever talked about being the Millennium Falcons. Missed opportunity. If you ever, ever, Carrie, get access to a time machine... <laughs> You must correct this wrong. <laughs> this is the first thing I'm going to do. Yeah, that's the, if they give you access to the time machine, they say there's only one thing you can do, Carrie. You can only make one yeah, trip. Yeah, we'd be like, Go okay. fix that. November 2016 or <laughs> hang on, there's a pun I could have made circa 2000. I'm going there. That's more important. Okay, so then uh, again, as Billy was telling it, they grabbed like samples from this ship that was under the Baltic Sea and did tests on it. And it wasn't any kind of known rock or stone. It was something else. Oh, no. Ignorance. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe sometimes we don't know things. Yeah, it's like, okay. This is, so- <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's not even saying it's like a metal or anything like that. It's just some unrecognized material. None of us knew what this was. And then he had some story about how when they would go down into the water to try to retrieve this, all of their equipment would shut down every time they would try to like tap into it or get near it. Mm. But eventually they did manage to get a sample of the material to test. Anyways, not an impressive story at all, but he's made it. I don't know what things are all the time. He's made a documentary about it on Forbidden Knowledge TV. Okay. So you can learn more about this craft. Okay, but he realized he was running out of time and he wanted to show us just one more important thing. Okay. That you can go to WorldWideTelescope.org and go, go look around on Mars because we've gotten back all of this great reconnaissance from Mars. Okay. All of these great panoramic photos that let you browse objects. So he pulled it up live on his computer and realized that his internet connection was not very good at the mm. Conscious Life Expo. And so we sat there for like three minutes while hey, he... Hey, don't have 5G. He fiddled with it. <laughs> <laughs> And some guy from the audience said, is this a live real-time view of Mars? (laughs) Which is a ridiculous question. And also then this guy suddenly realized like he could participate in the conversation and he kept calling things out for the next 10 minutes. One of those guys. Uh, But Billy responded to him and said, well, no, it's not real-time. That would be great. But I'm working on a technology that would make that possible. (laughs) Oh, 
wow. And so that audience- Your whole talk probably should have been about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he could give so many other talks. Yeah, that's true. But like, that's going to change the entire course of technology and probably humankind. So this audience member who's now like part of the conversation, he's like, oh, will you need funding for that? (laughs) And Billy says- You got some money? Not yet. And so the guy says, so is this like unforbidden knowledge? And Billy says, no, it's through another company. But it's like, clearly like, let me focus on getting this browser working. (laughs) I don't want to talk to you about this right now. Okay, so finally, he gets up to a place where you can kind of scroll around and zoom in and look at this footage. So he starts showing us rocks on Mars. Okay. But here's where Billy's imagination just runs away. Okay. He says, look at this object right here. Does that look like a rock to you? We don't know what it is, but this rectangular part looks really defined, like maybe a screen. And look at this object. What? It looks like it has something holding it up, like some kind of legs. I don't think these are rocks. And someone in the audience says like, that looks transparent. He's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's translucent. We classify these as anomalies. Do we? (laughs) Um, Yeah, this reminds me of Linda Moulton Howe. She does this too, where she'll just get really close on a grainy photo and then be like, I can't explain what this shape is. It doesn't make sense. And it's like, oh, it's an artifact of the technology you're looking at. So we get this long... Yeah, cool looking stuff. And yeah, I don't know what it is either. But Sure enough, like, yeah, you have a bunch of rocks strewn all over the place. And every now and then he and his fellow anomaly hunters, that's what they call themselves in his group that he's formed, the UFA. They look at these things and they identify certain things and screenshot them. And they give credit to people who spotted the anomaly. Uh, But yeah, some of them look... Look like, you know, rectangular, but maybe a little crumpled. This one's cool, though. It looks like a queen seated with her crown on. Oh, now you're playing along. Yes, yeah. you get it. <laughs> exactly. So some of them look vaguely human-like. So he just, he goes on and on, like, identifying them, saying, this one looks African. This one looks Native American. This one looks Caucasian. Oh, see, no. okay. see, look, you can see our own faces looking back at us. And I've never seen a rock that looked like that before. Aw, buddy. <laughs> they saw another one. This looks like a debris field. He identified some as like maybe the wing of a plane sticking out of the sand. Like, what does this guy think when he's... I mean, I really don't mean this disparagingly. Like, what's going on for him when he looks at like a cloud like and notices, oh, I can also do this with any shape? Yeah, at least here he has this kind of pre-standing idea of human-like figures having been on this planet. So, you know, with a cloud, at least, you know, he has no story to attach to that. Okay, okay. But but here it's like, oh, I'm looking for tools. That was another thing. Like, oh, clearly this looks like some kind of tool. Uh, The last one he showed us. um, Oh, you're right. So, yeah, I should be thinking it the the way someone would look at someone's you know, a photo of their dilapidated apartment after they went disappearing. Ah. What does each little piece of this mean? What there we story go. can we yeah. get from it? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. The, the last one he showed us uh, was this thing that looked roughly like, you know, like a battleship or a tank or something. He says, it's a war machine. And that just goes to show you that Mars was rightly named the god of war. Oh, sure. Oh, okay. Billy, goes Billy. To show. Another one looked like a, a statue and he thought it might have some hieroglyphs on it. And, you know, sure enough, when you hear that, you look mm-hmm. at it. Yeah, okay. I can. It looks like a gorilla to me, like a silverback gorilla. Oh, interesting. There are also only certain shapes the human eye will recognize as shapes. You know, we got, yeah. we got squiggles. We got boxes. 
Yeah, are, I, I forget what they're called. There's like the like 10 or 15 shapes that are sort of like the smallest units the human eye will recognize as like different shapes. Oh, but I interesting. What called. I think it starts with an H. I was watching a TED Talk recently about Ramsey theory, and I hadn't heard this term before, but hmm. it's essentially, you know, looking at laws of large numbers. You know, if there's enough random input, we can be certain that we will find patterns, meaningful yeah. patterns that mm-hmm. they just they have to exist. It would be stranger if they weren't there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when you're looking at strewn rocks on the face of Mars, and you can completely ignore their scale and zoom in on them, you're going to find shapes that look meaningful to you, especially yeah. if you think there was an ancient civilization there, especially if you think every carved face is next to a tunnel, and oh, I found it, there it is, that's the tunnel, that's where they're hiding inside of there, you know. Yeah, and now we live in a world of nearly infinite information, so if you want to look for whether there's an example of something, I'll save you time. There is. <laughs> yeah, but you, now we give you worldwidetelescope.org which is built for, mm-hmm. you know, very great purposes that we can yeah. jet set around the solar system and look at all this cool stuff. That's amazing. Uh, but then, you know, this is what it gets used for. Yeah. So by all means, go there, look around, but... Um, look around, look around. Maybe just enjoy what you found. <laughs> uh, so then he uh, he realized that uh, there had been a number flashing at him and the number was zero. <laughs> He'd gone well past his time giving uh-huh. this lecture. But uh, yeah, I, I was uh, quite bowled over by everything Billy had to say. Cool. And yeah, he stepped out into the audience and I couldn't get close to him because he had this flock of followers around him and people wanting to take pictures with him. And I kind of did that mental calculus like, OK, if I got in the line and I stayed semi-aggressive, I could probably interact with him in 15 minutes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And instead, Let I me touch the hem of your garment. <laughs> exactly. Which would have been great. But instead, I went to an infrared sauna to uh, go run into my friend Carrie. Oh, excellent. And then join her for a Bashar lecture. Oh, boy. What a real day this was was for us oh no kidding yeah some really heavy hitters this talk with billy came after i'd kind of grown disinterested with a couple talks you were talking about leaving the raven shambhala talk and i had been at a whitley streber talk and it was fine but he had kind of promised all of this revolutionary new knowledge Mm, right and none of that was forthcoming he was just kind of telling the same stories and there were interesting little anecdotes but i uh i don't know i I was finding myself getting a little tired and so Mm -hmm. i wandered down to a psychedelics panel where they were talking about plant medicine and uh, that also wasn't really engaging me so I was just kind of wandering around and then I saw oh Billy's about to give his talk oh I gotta see this one and uh, yeah that really paid off he delivered he sure did so I'm hoping I get to interact with this stuff more I would like to spend some time watching Forbidden Knowledge TV looks like there is much within the world of Billy Carson my goodness I see him as a bit of a kindred just in that he clearly loves to kindred to you yeah, that he loves to gather information uh-huh. and then just kind of surprise people with it. Like, oh, did you know this connection? Uh-huh. And this, you know, I, I feel like I get off on that too. Uh-huh. But I feel like he's just done it with this very low threshold for evidence where, yeah. you know, oh, someone said that. That fits in with these other things that I believe to be true. Yeah. I'm going to run with it. Yeah. In both of these stories, that one and Raven Shambhala, I'm struck by like how badly we need each other, <laughs> like how how much we can't see past our own delusion, no matter how healthy we are, like how, how much we can't see past our own blindness without someone else to be like, 
mm, I don't see that there. Let's check this together. Let's test this together. Yeah. And if one person just isn't willing to go through that process, you kind of lose them. Yeah. And I, I think that's why it's really important to learn these principles of our own fallible senses, mm-hmm. our own lapses of judgment, pattern seeking, like all of these kind of tools that you sort of put in your mental toolkit. It's important to learn those before this sort of thing hits you. Yeah. Because then, totally. it's, then it's a little too late because not only have you already kind of formed your mind around this theory, but there's also this kind of, um, I wish there's a more delicate way to put it, but, you know, face saving, sort mm-hmm. of a cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. of like, well, great, now I've put this out in the universe, it's associated with me, and for me to question it makes me look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, I've kind of owned this information. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's sort of the natural response to sort of double down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's a... Uh, just yet another argument for education. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just talking to my friend C.A. Myersberg, who teaches at Harvard. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, she teaches psychology there. And we were talking about how lovely it would be if when you're in high school, when they're teaching you like sex ed and how to brush your teeth and shit like that, if they could also be like, okay, now FYI, one in a hundred of you will hear voices sometime in your lifetime. It's yeah. a really normal thing. Yep. It's so common. And in this room of, you know, 2,000 kids, there's going to be like 20 of you this happens to. Mm-hmm. And here's what you do. And it's not a big deal. And it's coming out of these like different parts in your inner ear and your throat. Yes. And that's okay. It's not a big fucking deal. And we have a way to help you. Yeah. And or if you also heard things like sleep paralysis. Yes. Like, okay. Yep. one in that. Yeah. It's, it's like one in 30 is going to experience that in their lifetime so like beware okay. it may be coming yeah it might happen to you and guess what it's not god visiting you it's not, not the devil not the men in black yeah it's this it's is what not happens the mad gasser of mattoon because she was saying that she had her she's only had sleep paralysis once it's never happened to me but she had it once it was terrifying you know and yeah. she remembered it and then when she was in her not until she was in her graduate program, she heard about sleep paralysis and she was like, oh, that's what that was. And fortunately, yeah. she had filed it away as an anomaly instead of building some, you know, personal theology around it. Right. So she was okay. But if she hadn't, she'd just be a totally different person with a totally like different career yeah. and more yeah. isolated from science and evidence. And I, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I was uh, talking to my brother-in-law at one point and we were talking about all of this fun paranormal stuff and things that we've investigated for the podcast. And so I mentioned sleep paralysis and I gave this description of what the classic profile looks like and how it's been interpreted over the years as being attributable to witches and hags or incubi or succubi and and now aliens and men in black and government agents. And I, I was saying this to to him and then he said, well, that's okay. Well, that's interesting because I was once set upon at night by demonic mm. influences and it was, yeah, it was while I was going to sleep, but Jesus came and he saved me. Mm-hmm. But even the order of operations in me saying what I said before he told his story, I could see him sort of haltingly sort of as he was telling the story thinking, oh, mm-hmm. Ross just described exactly what mm-hmm. I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Huh. And if if I had done all that after he had told his story, uh-huh. it would have had a completely different effect. Like, oh, look at you trying to explain this away. Yeah, totally possible. Now, if only he had heard this 20 years earlier, mm-hmm. then he might have had. And, and this I've heard from many people. I also don't get or haven't uh, had a, a strong nighttime paralysis experience. But I've heard from many people who 
are aware of it, this feature of the, the human brain, and have said that it helped them. Like it was still terrifying, absolutely mm-hmm. terrifying mm-hmm. In, in the moment. But just knowing that that was a mm-hmm. phenomena helped totally. them get through it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would and, assume so. And then yeah. afterwards, they didn't see it as veridical, as like a real thing that happened. Right. Just like, wow, how interesting that I'm one of those percentage of people who just naturally experience this. Totally. So anyway, tell your kids about sleep paralysis. Tell yeah. your kids about voices. Before they go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> I, I don't hope have children, I don't, can you tell? I hope I don't see shadowy figures looming <laughs> over me and sitting on my chest at night. It's one of those, like, I've never had it and I want to have it, but I'm yes. sure as soon as I had it, I'd be like, well, I see why people say, no, Carrie, you don't want to have it. Right. I feel like a real jerk whining that I haven't yeah. experienced sleep paralysis, but I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Too curious about it. Well, anyway, thank you for going to the Billy Carson talk. Yeah, and thank you all for coming along with... I I skipped a step. Thank you Mm. for going to the Raven Shambhala talk. Oh, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. And thank all of you listeners for coming along with us for all of these fun adventures at the Conscious Life Expo. Yeah. Believe it or not, there was more stuff there. Yes. We may make references to it in the future. Yeah. But otherwise, I think uh, we've got some other fun content coming. Our conscious life is over now. We conscious lived. Yeah. Now we're unconscious. (laughs) I still have to take those shrooms, too. Oh, yeah. Just sitting in my bedroom. Okay, let me know how that goes. (laughs) Okay, well. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by Ross Balcher. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Yes, and thank you. Yes, and thank you. You can also support us by leaving a positive review, by telling a friend, spread the word, just like Billy Carson does about ancient Mesopotamian myths. Yeah, I mean, maybe check one or two things. Make sure that we're a real podcast before you tell other people (laughs) about us. And remember. And one day I called out to the Guardians and I said, you know, I'm willing to be challenged from you if you would like. And is there any messages that you would like me to give to the human race? I'll try to get them out for you. And they came, the pendulum started to move, and they said, uh, we're aware of who you are, and um, we do have messages we'd like to give to the human race, and we'd like to interact with you. And that was it. And then they went away. They went away. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, Boy Detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, yeah, completely. Our, our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going first. It's me, Jackie Keisha. Man, she's always this bossy. Uh, <laughs> I'm Lori Kilbarton. 
Uh, we're a bunch of stand-up comics, and uh, we've been doing comedy like 60 years total, <laughs> both of us, but we look amazing. And, uh, working out. We drop every Monday on Max Fun, and it's called The Jackie Laurie Show, and you could listen to it and learn about comedy and learn about anger management and all the things. And Jackie is married but childless, and I'm unmarried but childful. So together, we make <laughs> one complete woman. Is that just where that one's going to end? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we try to make Kyle laugh just like that and say, oh, my God, every episode. It's a good job. Jackie and Lori Show, Mondays, only on Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned. Audience supported.